Hi folks, the word this morning I've put up on the slide for you and it's entitled, It is Well with My Soul. And it is part two. Last week we looked at part one and these words come from the, the very famous hymn with the same name. And this hymn was written by Horatio Spafford and we shared the story last week. You can go to YouTube and get the first part of this message. But even when I was ministering this word last week, um, we looked at Romans chapter 5. I had in my heart that this week we would follow through with Romans chapter 8. And as I was studying the scripture and just looking at the scripture, I just definitely felt that this would follow through. And, and, and the real heart behind this cry is that because of what the Lord has done for us, we can cry and we can declare it is well with my soul. And in Romans chapter 8, an incredible chapter from verse 1 right through. We're just going to look at four verses in the middle. And, and these verses are just so powerful. And, and they declare biblical truths that are true no matter what the circumstances of life. No matter financial crisis, health crisis, these words are true. And, and let us look at these words together. So we're kicking off over here in Romans chapter 8 verse 14 and I'm looking in the ESV it says for all who are led by the Spirit of God are called the sons of God or are the sons of God. And as I was thinking about this verse in the, the words are led by the Spirit of God. I was thinking that I think that if you had to look at a Christian any Christian, that this truth that we are led by the Spirit of God is our superpower. And you say, oh, what's he talking about? Let me tell you, my kids are quite into some of these Marvel movies and we've had discussions around the table, dinner table. Uh, you know, this, I, I would love to have the superpower. You know what the, the superhero's powers are. This guy can run super fast. This guy can make himself invisible. This person is super strong and, and, and etc. And my kids uh, quite enjoy just thinking about that. And I was thinking as believers, being led by the Spirit of God is our superpower. But it says in this, in this verse over here, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And it's interesting that this, this, there's a connection between sonship and being led by the Spirit of God. And in Romans, the, the first couple of verses, he's unpacking what it looks like to be led by the Spirit of God. And in the next few verses, he actually makes a transition. This verse makes a transition where he's saying, okay, being led by the Spirit of God is for the sons of God or daughters of God, the children of God. And, and I found this transition so interesting. And for me, the connection is this. When you hear the word Son of God, who do you think about? Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God. And I was, there's nobody who was more led by the Spirit of God than Jesus. If we want to know what it looks like to be led by the Spirit of God, let's have a look at Jesus. And so, there's a particular verse that came to mind, and it's this verse, found in John 14, 31. And Jesus said, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know, in brackets, be convinced that I love the Father 
and that I do only what the Father has instructed me to do. I act in full agreement with his orders. This, this is from the Amplified Classic Edition. It just highlights Jesus' heart and passion to obey the Father. Jesus, even when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, said those immortal words, Not my will be done, but thy will be done. He lived to obey his Father. He lived to honor his Father, to please his Father, to delight his Father. And I believe that is a key. If we are going to be led by the Spirit of God, it says, who does that? It's the sons of God. But the heart of a son of God is to obey the Father, is to please the Father, is to honor the Father, is to live for the Father. That's the delight of a son. That's the delight of a son. And I believe that's a key to understanding what does it look like to be led by the Spirit of God. Sometimes we can think of uh, being quite ethereal and kind of very spiritual being led by the Spirit of God. But if we want to look what it looks like, it looks like the life that Jesus lived. And you know, interesting things. He did miracles. He, did, um, he taught amazing truths. But he was loved by sinners. He was so down to earth. As my wife always said, his, his supernatural was so natural that, that normal people just loved Jesus. And so, if we're going to, what does it look like to be led by the Spirit of God? Let us actually look at what does it look like? What does it mean to be sons and daughters of God, to be children of God? Because that is a key to understand what it looks like to be led by the Spirit of God. And these are truths, no matter what happens, we can declare like the, the hymn, it is well with our soul, because these truths are eternal truths. And so let's go on. In verse 15 it says, and you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. Some translations say the spirit of slavery. Leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. And he goes on to say, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance or the spirit of adoption enfolding you into the family of God. Just such a beautiful contrast here between a spirit of slavery and the spirit of adoption, which is the spirit of sonship. And we, I want to unpack these two concepts. Because in the writing here, he says, and it's so sad that so many people in religious contexts really experience this, a spirit of religious duty. What does that look like? When we do stuff because we kind of feel like we've got to do it. I've got to do it. I've got to go to the prayer meeting. I've got to read my Bible. You know, folks, we've got to remember that a son does things to please the Father. That was the heart of Jesus. I remember a few days ago doing my Bible reading, and for the day my Bible reading was a portion, a chapter in the Bible that I'd often read. And when I, when I saw it was that portion of Scripture, I kind of was like, oh, not that chapter. But what was interesting, I literally felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit convicted me like, why have you got such an attitude about reading that? Was I coming under the spirit of religious duty, as the scripture mentions? Was I doing it because I had to, not because I get to, I get to read scripture. I have the freedom to read scripture. I have the Bible at my disposal, multiple translations. Many people throughout the centuries didn't even have Bibles. They would have loved to just have a page of the Bible. Here I am. I've got 
the choice of translations and I'm getting grumpy about a particular chapter. And I was convicted. I was convicted. No. I love my Father. I want to hear His Word. I want to be led by the Spirit of God. So I'm going to spend time in the Word. And the Lord just changed my heart right there. Not a big deal, but folks, there's a huge difference between the spirit of religious duty, the, the attitude of, i got to do it, versus, I get to do it. I want to do it. The difference is huge. Just making sure our heart is always yearning for the Father is such a beautiful place to be. And he speaks here about the spirit of adoption. And in the rest of the verse, he says, he unpacks it more. And you will never feel orphaned. The spirit of adoption that the spirit of God does when we, when we become children of God is so complete that we will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. Or the original word that Jesus actually used was the Aramaic word Abba Father, which can be translated as Daddy, which, which is an affectionate word for, God, for Father God. And this verse is just so beautiful because it's highlighting He rises up, but it also says our spirits join Him in saying the words. This is a beautiful work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to just unpack it over here because I highlighted that what He's talking about here is is what the sonship looks like for us. Why can we declare it is well with us all? Because I am forever, and you are forever, son or daughter of the Most High God. It's an eternal truth that will, will not change. And in this verse over here, he's unpacking this whole concept of adoption. Now in those days, adoption was was fairly common. And there was, on the one level, the legal side. The legal side was that if you were legally adopted as a Roman citizen into a family, you had the full rights of a, a son born to that, to that mother and that father. Full rights. Full legal rights. But legal rights are very much the external aspect of it. But what the right of Romans is saying, it's not just external, which it is. It is a legal reality that you're a son of God, you're a daughter of God, just as I am. It is, it is in the spirit, it is legal. But it is more than that. It is also a work of the spirit. It says he rises within us and our spirits join him. I get this picture of this divine, maybe, hug in the spirit, this divine agreement, this divine coming together, where when you are born again, your spirit resonates with God, that you're a son of or daughter of the Most High God. That is what this is speaking about over here. And, and we cry. And this speaks about a cry that comes from our spirits. Beloved Father. And so this, 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 this sonship is external, yes, the legal aspect. But it's very much inside. Inside, we are 100% born of the Spirit of God, born of God Himself, born of the Father. It's a complete work, outside and internal. We, we become sons of God. We were sons of men, we become sons of God. And isn't it interesting that, that, is, that the, the exact opposite happened to Jesus? The Son of God became a son of man. And here we are, the sons of men, becoming a son of God. It's just so beautiful. 
for us to understand this eternal truth. And therefore we can say, it is well with our souls. But this goes on. And, and what, I, what, I, what I actually did in, the, in this next verse, I, I looked at a cross-reference, and it cross-referenced when I was studying the sonship, it cross-referenced me actually to Romans chapter 9, verse 25, which is just the next chapter, and verse 26. And I first want to just look at this verse, verse 25. And it says, Remember the prophecy God gave in Isaiah. And I want to pick up about Isaiah because it ties in so beautifully to what's said in these two verses. To those who were rejected and not my people, I will say to them, you are mine. And to those who were unloved, I will say, you are my darling. These words, I, I, let me just explain to you a little bit about Hosea. Hosea was a prophet who ministered in the northern kingdom after the two kingdoms were divided, Judah in the south and uh, Israel as it was known in the north, the other kingdoms, the other tribes. And so he was ministering there, but he actually ministered in a time where it, it, initially it was going really well. Financially they were prospering, it was really going well. But as so often is the case, as things went, went well economically in the northern kingdom. Morally, things started to decay. People stopped serving God. More importantly, the kings stopped serving God. And so Hosea is a prophet in this time and God does something that is really quite mind-blowing. He tells Hosea to do a prophetic act. And this is a mind-blowing prophetic act. He tells Hosea to go and marry a woman who is a prostitute. He tells him to go and, and, and marry this woman. This woman's name is Goma, and you can read it in the Bible. And he has, he has three children with this, with this lady. And um, the third son, literally, the name of the son is not my people. It's literally the opposite of being God's people or his people, is not my people, to highlight how much they, they have turned away from God that literally they, they don't look like the people of God at all. And what God was trying to highlight in, in, getting, in getting Hosea to do this prophetic act by marrying Goma, he was, he was wanting the people to see how they were towards him. Because what happened with Goma, yes, she was a prostitute, she marries him. But she actually goes back to that lifestyle. And in chapter 3 of Isaiah, if you go read it, he goes and he gets her out of that place where she was living as a prostitute again. And the Bible says he literally paid for her. He gave money. He had to pay to get her back. And he took her back as his wife. It's just, it's just mind-blowing what he did. And God, God and Isaiah, just an amazing man of God, that he, would, that he would do that. But it was a prophetic act. God was saying, look at my heart for my people. And the act of him buying back, giving money for his wife, she was legally his, is such an act of redemption. Because that's what Jesus did at the cross. He bought us back. The price to buy us back was the price of his son. And the father said, it's worth it. I'll pay that price. The same way Hosea went and paid money to buy his wife back, God did with his son dying at Calvary. He said, I'll pay the price to get you back. 
such a beautiful picture of the cross and what God did at the cross. And that's why he says over here, you are my darling. He's using the language that a husband would use towards a wife. And, and I wanted to tie this in because the reality is a father would also be a husband to a wife. I mean, that's how, that's how children are produced. And so this, the, the love of a husband, which is the love being displayed here, is also the love of our Father God towards us in this metaphor of his love towards us. To those who were rejected and not my people. I was so struck by those words, to those who were rejected. And I was just thinking about somebody who I just heard recently, um, literally in the first week of lockdown here in South Africa, they heard that uh, the organization they were working for uh, was not going to renew their contract. And this person had been working for this organization for 13 years. And, and when I spoke to this person, and when I just uh, listened to their story, I was so struck by literally the rejection that this person was experiencing from a company that they had served faithfully for 13 years. And I know this person well. This person is a 100% committed, faithful believer. And, and I know how I know this person. And I could only imagine how much they had given of themselves to this company, to this organization the last 13 years. And yet, they experienced this rejection. And this verse so spoke to me. Because it says, I will say to them, you are mine. And to those who were unloved, will say, you are my darling. It is in places like that, and it is in spaces we experience rejection, and, and those hard things that we go through, it's in those spaces that the voice of God calling out to us that the love of the Father is needed more than ever, and isn't just needed, is experienced. It's in times like that that His acceptance oh, is, is, is the healing balm that comes into these places of rejection. And so I'm ministering, I'm speaking this word to us, because I know many of us will experience similar kinds of things. And this is the place that, that God speaks to us. Look at what it says in verse 26. It's just quite incredible. And in the place where they were told, you are nobody. How many of you haven't experienced that? This will be the very place where they will be renamed children of the living God. Wow. This, this verse is, is, is speaking about the very place that you are rejected, that you are told you're a nobody, you're not worth it, whatever, whatever we face. In that space, in that place, this will be the very place where they will be renamed children of God, children of the living God. And my, as I'm ministering this word, as I'm sharing these scriptures, I pray that by the Spirit of God, you would hear the voice of God saying you're a child of the living God. In that place, in that very place where you experience the opposite, the Lord wants to bring healing, wants to bring life, wants to bring His Word. His Spirit wants to revive and nullify everything you've experienced, the words you've heard, the accusations that have come your way. This is a work of the Spirit of God. I want to go on. In verse 16 of Romans 8 it says, For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. 
makes God's fatherhood real to us. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. And this is my prayer as I minister this word, that right in the Holy Spirit, you would make God's fatherhood real. That as, as, as we hear as we hear from the Father, Lord, it would resonate in our spirits. Make God's Father real to us. As He whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. As He whispers into our inmost being, you are God's beloved child. And folks, these kind of whispers, I just want to encourage you, we need to make time, we need to be still to hear these kind of words. You know, for me, the last while, what is what are the whispers that I've been hearing? I've just been hearing the Lord's assurance that He's with me. I have gone through seasons in my life when I get still, I just hear the Lord's assurance that He loves me. And there are times that it's, it's kind of like, Lord, I know that. But folks, we don't know the seasons that are ahead. Don't despise the small whispers from the Lord that He's whispering into your innermost being. Some of you need to hear these words, you are God's beloved child. Listen to what the Spirit of God is whispering to you. Listen to what the Father of God Father God is saying to you. Verse 17 says, And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. Those words, all that he is and all that he has, they sound like the kind of vows a couple would make on their wedding day. These are solemn words. These are solemn words from our Father. And he goes on to say, we will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. I want to just first emphasize the first part of the scripture because it says over here that we are heirs of God himself. And this is tying back to the reality of sonship. See, sons and daughters inherit, inherit from their parents. And the inheritance he says over here is quite incredible. He says, all that he is and all that he has. And I'm just so reminded of a story that I heard many years ago. The story of uh, um, Smith Wigglesworth who went to go visit a lady who was very sick, who was on her deathbed. And she was a very poor lady in England. And uh, he went into her home, her room, and it was very sparse, uh, sparsely decorated. There wasn't much around. She wasn't, was, didn't have much worldly wealth. And in her bedroom was her bed, and uh, he was praying with her. And he, as he was praying with her and talking to her and ministering to her, he noticed on the wall above, above her bed, there was a plaque, uh, uh, and it was a picture frame, and there was some writing in it. 
And uh, he, he just felt prompted to ask her, what, what was this picture above her bed? And she explained that she had been a servant of a very wealthy lady her whole life, and that that plaque was given to her when the old lady had died, this old wealthy lady died, had given to this lady who was now very sick in bed. So, so Smith Wigglesworth went to the picture, he took it down, he read, and he said, do you know what it says? And the old lady said, you know, I never learned how to read or write. I said, I don't actually know what it says, but I hang it above my bed because it reminds me of that lady and all the kindness she showed me for so many years. And he said, lady, do you realize that this document in, in, in this picture frame is that wealthy lady's last will and testament, and this document says that you are the sole heir and benefactor of an entire estate. The lady couldn't believe it. She had spent years and years holding on to a piece of paper, not realizing that that piece of paper was her, her inheritance, her title deed to a massive estate. And she, and she, never, she never entered into it. She never took a hold of it. She never enjoyed it. Because simply, she didn't know what was written in the document. Folks, this is the Bible we are reading. We are reading here that it says we are indeed heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. I remember hearing Bill Johnson saying that what the Lord has done through Christ, it is like he has done this massive deposit into our bank account. It's there. But we, by faith, need to access that and we need to draw from it. Yes, it's not all ours immediately. It is by faith that we access the promises of God and we make withdrawals from that huge deposit that Christ has made from us. So I want to encourage you, incredible inheritance is for us. According to Scripture, no matter what's happening in the world, that is why we can say it is well with our soul. We are heirs of an incredible inheritance. And he goes on to say, we will experience being co-glorified with him. Now we looked at what glory is last week in the first part of this series, two-part series. It says, we will experience being co-glorified with him, with Jesus. When Jesus comes in glory, we are going to be co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. I must tell you, that last part of the sentence, there was, there was a time when I was younger that I really didn't like that last part of the sentence. I would have preferred that there was a full stop after him, right over there, co-glorified with him. I'm happy with a co-glorified. But this suffering part, there was a time that I was like, Lord, I'm not sure about this. I've walked down a couple of roads with the Lord, and I've come to realize, that provided that we accept his sufferings as our own is really part of the key of entering not just into his glory but actually all of the above. And I want to just um, go on to the next slide because he unpacks it a little bit more and this is the last slide we're going to look at. I'm convinced that any sufferings we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled 
within us. What is so interesting about this verse, so often when, when we contemplate glory and we see glory in Scripture, it is very much, it is very much when the Lord returns and it is very much in the, in the heavenly realm. But this verse speaks about a glory that is about to be unveiled within us. And, and I want to submit to you that as we embrace sufferings and hardships and trials, the trials of life, it works in us something that actually reveals glimpses of His glory this side of eternity. Something that just doesn't happen any other way. And last week we also, in, in the first part of the series, looked in at this process of how God works character in us. And, and remember, I highlighted in the definition of, of, of what glory is, it's a radiance of His character. And when I say glimpses of His glory come through suffering, folks, the reality is if we embrace God's process in how He forms character in us, and that it's His character, and, and glory is a, is a revelation of His character, folks, that is how glimpses of glory come. And that causes us to rejoice in trials, in hardships, in suffering. Because we understand how God brings forth glory through those things we go through. In the same way as we highlighted how a, a, a shape is imprinted on a coin through heat and through pressure, ultimately the result is beautiful. And, and I was just so reminded of uh, a while ago, I actually did a study on the sufferings and, and the hardships that Paul the Apostle endured. The man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Many people believe he's, 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 he's the, the world's most uh, successful Christian, if, if you could define such a thing. But the point is, when I read about his sufferings, I actually got... Such, such courage. I was so encouraged on a number of fronts. And, and I, think, I think one of the greatest things is just to see a man who did not become bitter through what he experienced, but he actually became better. And those two words, simple little, little, little words. I'm very aware that we can sometimes go through trials and sufferings and hardships and they actually cause us to become hard. The same way I mentioned earlier, you, know, you can come to a portion of Scripture and your heart is hardened as you contemplate that Scripture for whatever reason. Folks, if our hearts become hardened through what we go through, I want to submit to you, things we go through may not cause us to become better may not cause us to bring glory to the Lord. But that is His desire. And so my prayer is that we would embrace the reality of being sons of God and everything that that entails. Every one of us, I'm sure, would want to bring glory to the Lord. But that includes that we embrace suffering. And and we say, Lord Jesus, would you be formed in us? Would you be glorified through this? And so I want to submit to you, what hardship, what suffering 
could possibly come our way, that the Lord couldn't work in and through us to bring glory to his name. And that is the heart of a son and daughter, a desire to honour the Father, a desire to please the Father, a desire to obey the Father. That is a person who can say in any circumstance of life, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us as we just contemplate these verses, as we fully embrace being a child of the living God and embrace everything that it is, that we would embrace the reality that it is well with our souls. And so, Lord, I bring our hearts before you. And Lord, from, from our spirits, we resonate and we cry, Beloved Father, Abba Father, Lord, we know, we know that the work that you have done in us is an incredible work. You have imparted legal sonship, but God, you have, you have, you have made us sons on the inside. From the inside, from our hearts, we cry, Abba Father. And so, Lord, we celebrate, we celebrate you, Father. We celebrate your goodness. We acknowledge you're a good Father. We created in your image. You're a faithful Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. And I want to, I want to, I just want to ask you. Um, we're going to. I'm going to. Um, put the, uh, a song about the good, good Father. I want to ask you to, let, let's worship the Father. Let's worship the Father. Let's say, Father, may we have the heart of your Son, Jesus. May we glorify you in every circumstance of life. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.